Our Heavenly Father, we give you praise for this day. We thank you for what you have done in Sam's life. You've drawn him to yourself, saved him in your sovereign time. We pray that you would continue to keep him humble. We pray for his remaining time at Talbot, that he'd be excellent in his work in his school, that his work would exemplify what you have done in his life. We pray that he would be as he desired. We're thankful to be a better servant, that he'd be a servant to others, believers and non-believers alike that his life would be a reflection of the love of Christ each day. We pray for this service. We pray for this time in the Word. I pray that, that you cause my heart to be humble before you, that I'll preach to uh, one person only, and I pray that you'd be honored in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's, um, we're studying Titus 2, and we'll kind of, Jumped ahead um, to verses nine and ten, and we'll go back and um, go through everything else. But before we begin, let's um, read chapter two, verses one through nine. Will Mike Kostura please stand up and uh, read it out loud for us? Let's all stand. Maybe seated. We come to verses nine and ten. And it's obviously, in our context, uh, slaves may no longer be applicable, but employee-employer relationship is absolutely applicable to us. Many of us work in um, our jobs outside of church, and we work so many hours, 40, 50, maybe sometimes some of you part-time and some of you may end up putting many more hours at the workplace. With a significant amount of time we spend in workplaces. You know, I'm going to give you a lot of practical examples. Titus 2, the section we want to focus on being doers of the word. And as we go along, um, hopefully my experiences um, will help you. And these are things that I've drawn from my life. And so they may be my own input. So you have to discern through biblical truths with that. They're not absolutes. They're just examples. You know, as I was studying this, it's very, very humbling. You know, very, very humbling. Because I wanted to draw on myself and on my experiences and a lot of my failures. So a lot of things I'll point out today. How do I know these things? Because I went through these things. I thought these thoughts and I had these struggles that I'm sure you would identify with. And I pray that God would give all of us grace. I'm still fighting through so that we would honor God in our workplaces. And I would invite, you know, my prayer is that it would encourage you at the same time. Perhaps we would encourage us to have further discussions so that you could encourage uh, me as we work in a world in the environment. And it's not easy to excel in these places. It's a difficult thing to excel as a Christian at work, holding our uh, values, what we stand for, holding script, upholding scripture is very, very difficult thing. We could easily dilute and compromise many things. But as with that, as much as we're involved in that, we have to do this. And failure is not an option in this area. This is what we're called to do. In many ways, you know, we've been teaching, um, talking about roles of women, women submitting, workers at home. In many ways, for men and maybe other single women, this may be the 
almost equivalent of the women's submission issues. Men, we don't really face that. But the workplace gets very close. Almost to, during those 8, 9, 10 hours we spend at work, it's almost that we experience 1 Peter 3. You know, I know that there's no equivalency to that. That's much more difficult. That's 24-7 life. But during that time, it is, it is that. We have to submit to unbelieving supervisors and we have to submit because the Word of God instructs us to. So let me start with asking some questions. You know, I can probably tell by smiles on your faces. So don't raise your hand. So how many of us just had a meeting or a review, performance review? We went through our supervisor, with our, with our supervisors. And it's not what we expected. Maybe harsh, maybe even critical. We come back to our desk or station or cubicle. And what is the first thing we do? We click the internet. We go on monster.com, career builders, or whatever's out there. Or start posting your resume. You get your resume out in a Word document, and you're updating it. How many of us have been there? Don't raise your hands. Okay. How many of us jumped around, run with others around the water cooler or by the coffee pots. Something, new initiative your boss enacted. And you're there, your whole department, maybe five, six, half dozen of you or more. You sit there and you are critical of your boss just like the rest of them. You're on the jump, you're jumping on the bandwagon. How many of us been there? How many of us tonight, some of the brothers, or even sisters, do what you do after church. You go to lunch, play basketball, or sisters have tea, or go out for dessert. Seven, eight, nine o'clock roll around, you're on your way home, and you are just dreading Monday mornings. You're dreading because you have a work week ahead and not looking forward to it. I don't know, for whatever reason, you're just not looking forward to it. You had a great Sunday, and you know Monday through Friday is not going to top that. So your heart is troubled. You know, how many of us even have, you get to work on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, you get to work 7, 8, 9 o'clock, whenever you show up to work, and you're dreading just that 8 hours, or that 4 hours or 5 hours, you're dreading just getting to lunch. You're just, your prayer that morning is, God, let me get through lunch. Get to lunch and you're just, you know, to make it through. How many of us been there? You know, again, how do I know these? I've struggled with these at least one point in my life. And I've experienced it myself. And it's by grace of God that we endure. I know these are difficult to hear. These are struggles we go through one point or another. But God calls us to strive to be holy because He is holy. And we need to strive for practical holiness in our lives. Living a Christian life in the workplace is simply a microcosm of our entire life as a Christian, right? You know, as we deal with other employees, co-workers, our managers, we deal with simply everything else that goes, in our, goes around in our life. You know, there's a paradigm to somehow remove ourselves the title of Christians once we show up to work that we've become like, in reality, about everyone else. It's easy to conform to that. Easy to conform to the world, and no place is easier when we go to work. 
But in reality, brothers and sisters, what God, God calls us to here in Titus 2, 9 and 10, it is a mission field. It is as if you've been on summer mission teams, getting on a plane for the Czech Republic or the OC team that you've been involved in. It is no different than that. We have to have that perspective. One philosopher exclaimed that, you show me your redeemed life, that I may be inclined to believe in your Redeemer. And this is what we're called to do in the workplace. You know, when Cortez conquered Mexico in 1500s, he conquered one of the missions he had, he was conquering for Spain, but his also another uh, objective he had was to conquer, to convert the land, the natives, to Christianity. And this one man was being burned at the stake because he would not conform to the faith, so-called faith that Cortes brought. And he said this, as being burned at the stake, he said he'd rather burn in hell than be in heaven with you. And this is not what we want to hear as Christians. And Titus 1.16 says, They profess to know God, but their deeds they deny Him, since they are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good deeds. Our deeds must reflect. Our actions must reflect our faith and Christ. And workplace calls us to that. You know, statistics show that average working American spends about 70%, around 70%, I would say about 50 to 70% of waking hours at their workplaces. And must, much of them, much of the time, and many people rather be somewhere else. I heard one brother say a long time ago, a younger brother say, you know, I'd rather watch the most boringest movie all day long than go to work. That's not the proper perspective. You know, in my younger days, I used to, I called in sick, and I, I let me profet, uh, confess to you that I've called in sick when I was not really sick, because I had sick hours. I was, it was available to me, and if I don't use it at the end of the year, it's gone, right? So, you know, in my logical thinking, you take advantage of those things. You know, it's funny, too. In my work now, at the end of the year, we want to encourage people not to use their sick hours, so we pay them out, because it's money out anyway, right? So we pay people at the end of the year if they don't use their sick hours. You know, our attendance went up 70%. It's amazing. What, do people all of a sudden get healthy? You know, if anything else, people get more sick, right? More people get more sick. These how these things work. But remember, it's not why we... Um, the reason on why we work is not as important as reasons on how we work. That is much more important. Now, we are now in the world of where the world teaches us the work ethic, it's very skewed. It's very skewed. It's one of the highest forms of drudgery for many people. It ought not to be for Christians. That's not the biblical view of work ethic. You know, modern materialistic culture promotes the idea the whole point is to earn the most you possibly can with the least amount of hours put in at work. And our Christian motivation cannot conform to that. You know, again, by the virtue of the amount of hours we spend at work, it's a significant part of our lives. You can't deny that. It's a significant part. And it has significant, therefore, it has a significant part of our sanctification process. Perhaps, let me give you a thought. A 
Are you struggling in the Lord? Are you struggling to grow as a Christian? Are you struggling to love Christ year after year? Are you struggling with the same sins? Maybe we have the wrong perspective of relying on church, relying on pastors, flock time or Sunday time or retreat time to sanctify us. Because that just may not be enough. Our perspective is, I have to be sanctified in my practice of holiness during my work time. Because that's far more where we spend our practical time. Right? Maybe our perspective has to change. Maybe then, once we become holier people in the workplace, then we will see significant growth in our lives. Becoming molded into the image of Christ. We're struggling because we're relying on just very few hours, moments that we have at church at Cornerstone or retreats or during few hours of flock time. Just something to think through. You know, God intends our work and occupation as an opportunity for God to draw glory to Himself. How we work glorifies God. Nothing has nothing to do, glorifying God has nothing to do with the title or the position or the company we work at. How profitable the company is, how much benefit it provides for us, has nothing to do with our practical holiness. If you are in a difficult workplace, work environment, with difficult masters, your earthly masters at work, that is what God wants you to be in His sovereign plan. We should not look at that position just to see and tell ourselves, I need to get out. Maybe the question that we ought to ask is, why are we there? Why has God put me there? And prayerfully think through the situation. I'm not saying just suffer unjustly forever, but at least think that through and prayerfully consider it. Just a historical perspective on work. You know, one, whether it's sacred or secular, there is, let me just simply put it, there is no secular work. Everything is sacred. It's just like saying there are secular parts of Christian life. No, there isn't any. You know, some people said in the past they classified Christians as first, second, or whatever class, and those holding secular employment were second class citizens. The first class citizens were those who were in the monastery or following full time priesthood or pastorhood. It's not the case. We should consider work, any work, whether you're a pastor or working as an administrative assistant, a lawyer, an accountant, or a doctor. It should be considered as gift of gift from God, as upholding the command of God, as it was designed for, especially for you men to work. To have lower view of work is having low view of God. Let me repeat that. Having low view of work our approach to work on Monday mornings is having the same thing, perhaps, as your approach to Sunday mornings as you walked in the store this morning. You know, despite what people may tell you, what you have thought in the past, we need to change this because work is one of the most honorable, noble things Christians could do. And it is, you are called. You are called to do this. And there's a clear spiritual purpose. Our job is not a secular job. It's a spiritual duty. My aim this morning is to show and share with all of us here as we progress, said, that 
that we are serving our Lord in the workplaces with our attitude and our diligence. That Paul is saying here in chapter 2, this work is a sacred duty, not a secular one. Therefore, Christian workers, as we serve our earthly masters, is that we must look at the inward heart condition first. Outwardly, it's an outward obedience of that inward heart. Or simply, our primary concern as Christians ought to be that we go to work. It's a divine vocation for the glory of God. God has given us, all of us, different way, different skills, different education levels, different abilities to glorify It is your calling, people. It is the will of God. You know, just as ministry is for some of the pastors, Pastor James, Pastor Jason, Pastor Joshua, Marcus, it is the same for you. You have a calling. A.W. Tozer wrote, It is not what man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It is his attitude. William Tyndale wrote, there's no better, no, there's no work better than another to please God, to pour water, to wash dishes, to be a cobbler or an apostle. All are one, a t- touching deed to please God. You know, the context, let's go over the context here as slaves. You know, you know Paul said, suddenly switched to this because there's a significant amount in that Paul's day of slaves during uh, in the Roman Empire. He said approximately 60 million slaves in Paul's day. Okay, You know, obviously, basic life of s- slaves were grim and horrible at times. You know, the law didn't consider them as people, but a thing, a property. In the Paul's day, Romans also thought that work was un- uh, beneath them, beneath their dignity. So many Roman citizens didn't work. So practically, most of the work had to be done by slaves. But many slaves became slaves um, by war, by debt, and other reasons. So, much of work in the Roman Empire was done by slaves. So there were doctors because they were educated, but through their debt, or they just been conquered. They were well-educated, capable, but they became slaves because Roman Empire was just, just too strong. So, they had a whole spectrum of very highly skilled workers, as we would see today, to very low-level workers. So they had, in our context, people like who were um, minimum wage workers, all the way to perhaps doctors, CEOs, who were slaves. That capable. You couldn't tell them apart sometimes. And they were very close. The society was very accepting. So, Roman slavery was somewhat different from what we envision slavery to be like in American history. It was very well integrated into society. So in that context, Paul writes this because it was a very big part of the culture. So Paul's rule here, Paul's instruction here to slaves was wholeheartedly, fully obey your master with all honesty, without laziness, any ill will, to willing service with the utmost of integrity. 
Paul was mindful, much like today, there were many unbelieving masters, these believing master, uh, believing slaves served. And if we slaves behaved poorly and worked sinfully in response to harshness, perhaps the harshness of the masters, we will not glorify God. So the overarching thesis here is very powerful, saying that our testimony as Christian employees is very important. That our obedience is not for our employers, but ultimately for our Lord. Because we the reputation of ourselves, not the slaves, not the employees, but Christ is on the line. That we are to undividedly obey our master's employers as to rendering to Christ, our true master. Because we, what he's saying is, if we undoubtedly serve our masters, then we would truly serve our true master, our Lord. You know, God desires us to be holy. I think Paul is instructing us to let our light shine before men so that we will show our good works that will glorify our Father in heaven. And Peter also wrote, Apostle Peter wrote in chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, Keep your behavior excellent among the pagans so that in the things in which they slander you, they may be on account of your good deeds as they observe them, they glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, unless there's credibility to you, unless there's reputation of integrity to you as life of believers in your workplaces, we are not going to send the right message. So, let's dive into the text. What are some key qualities of godly employees? It says, urge slaves, chapter, verse 9, urge slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything. To be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith that they may adorn the doctrine of our Savior in every respect. Remember, going to work is economical to many of us. It's a financial decision, where we work, what position we take. You know, even going back to what we study, what we major in, what school to attend to. It's largely, in many ways, it is economical. And in many ways for employers too. Your earthly masters, their job is to get the maximum productivity out of you with the amount they pay you. And in a way, in the same thing, conversely for us, is to get the maximum pay with doing the least amount of work. Right? So that's a conflict. There's a conflict. But we are not to battle in that conflict. Our battle is purely spiritual. Don't make an economic battle. It's not. It's not. We have to change our paradigm there. It's about submission. It's about right attitude, right heart. I know it's a daunting task to behave as Christ would each day, to die to ourselves, Approaching work as a mission field each day to having our guard up. This is why going to work Monday morning, tomorrow morning, brothers and sisters, therefore we need to do this prayerfully each day. As, a, as we approach Mondays, it is not within us for us to succeed 
as Christian workers without prayer, without relying on the grace of God. That's another paradigm that we need to think through. Why are we failing at work? Why Why am I so full of complaints? Why do I grumble so much? No different than my unbelieving co-workers. And you get disappointed in yourself. Why? Because we may be not relying on the grace of God for us to stand above, rise above the unbelieving world. Let's pray that God would grant us grace, the heart, to be a true slave as we are slave to Christ first. So two key qualities, the prescription, two key qualities of godly employees is one is submission, one is superior. A faithful Christian worker first is submissive. It says, urge slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything. You know, that's first Paul starts out with, submit. Submission how? With a sincerity of heart. It's examining the right attitude. It's not external compliance, it's internal compliance first. Now, Titus, here, in Titus, Paul uses the word urge. It's a military term. Okay? Giving orders to your uh, lower-ranking officer, your superior officer, gives a military order. In military, what happens? What happens? You have to take orders. You know, one of my favorite movies of all time. Top ten, top ten. Right? Not a sports movie. I mean, you've seen the movie Crimson Tide with Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman. Great movie. You know that USS Alabama is actually a real submarine in the U.S. Navy. Let me, I did a little study on um, USS Alabama. Let me tell you. It's a nuclear submarine. So its range is unlimited. It's self-propelling. So you could go on forever as long as they have food and people could last. When 160 men could last in a small confined area. It's, called, it's in the Ohio class of submarines. Okay. It's an attack submarine. It could deliver, literally, like in the movie, up to 24 nuclear warheads at once. It has that ability. It opens the torpedo base. They could launch up to 24 in a matter of minutes. Up to. Okay. They have, it carries up to about 150 to 160 Navy personnel, including all the officers. And the average age of this nuclear submarine, you could probably wipe out entire Los Angeles in a matter of minutes is run by, average age, is 23 years. 23 years. That is the most frightening thought. Okay, Even in this young uh, congregation, 23 is way on the lower end of the totem pole, and these guys are running a nuclear submarine. Okay, That's why you need strong leaders like Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington running. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, World War III would break out at any moment. This is why you have to take orders. Strict orders. Strict orders. They have to do absolutely everything the commanding officers tell you to do. And there's no option. Okay? No option. There's no time for this kind of nonsense. People may die. You may be put to death if you're not obeying commands. And this is what the form, the word that is used here. You have to do this. There's no options. Again, remember, people came, became slaves due to other reasons, other circumstances. And you are serving unbelieving masters where you are far more educated and you are far more... See the level of 
humility they had to go through. The heart condition is where the battle is. In 1 Timothy 6, 1, it says, Those who are under yoke as slaves must regard their own masters, deserving of full respect. This will prevent the name of God and Christian teaching from being discredited. And this is the unlimited extension of that submission. They're on the total direction to their master in every respect. We are obligated to submit to our employers. In Ephesians 6, 5, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to your flesh. With fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not by a way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves to Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing whatever good things each one does, this will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. This is a correlating text we should also study at some point in time. You know, Ephesians were called, instructed to obey their masters in Christ, but to obey their masters in obedience to Christ. So in a way, we are serving only one master, really, our Lord. We need to see the master behind the master, the true master. In every respect, sometimes there may be evil done to you. You may be hurt. But think of yourselves as slaves. Secondly, a faithful Christian worker is superior. Just to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering by showing all good faith. To be well-pleasing focuses on the first goal, the character of submission. It carries a concept of giving satisfaction in every respect to your earthly master. Fulfilling our duties, the responsibilities, as opposed to doing their work half-heartedly, just going through the motion and doing it. Doing it to the utmost, without answering back or stealing. This means that we're not just doing the minimum. We're not just doing the minimum. We're doing the maximum. Christians are type of workers who don't need to be checked upon. We do it. They give us a task. They trust us. They know we're going to get it done. You know, sometimes when our bosses are not around, what do we tend to do sometimes? We kind of relax. We become... You know, clock watchers, you watch every minute, you're waiting for that lunch time to come by or that roach coach to come by. So you go out and take a break, extended break, long as possible, until you have to go back, right? Or you go to the cafeteria, spend the maximum amount of time there. And lunch, you squeeze every minute, not 59 minutes of your hour, full one hour. Not minute, not 10 seconds short, we'll go 10 seconds over. What do we do? Or do you, you know, some women, I've seen my secretary do this, they sit there, and but she gets off at 5 sometimes. This is a long time ago, not my current one, but long time ago. 4.45 comes around, she has her purse ready, she's ready to go. For 15 minutes, it gets her up to gear her up to ready to leave work. Do we do that? But maybe we don't do it physically, but mentally do we check out? Just something to consider. Right. Again, external compliance is not enough. It's not even where the true battle is. 
we should work just as hard. And sometimes in our annual review, we have not gotten the receipt, uh, the, the raise that we thought we were going to get. Or being passed up by promotion. You felt that you worked harder than the other person, and that person ended up getting the position. Again, maybe earning the fullest amount of raise or promotion is not the goal. The utmost primary motive is to work diligently so that the will of God is done, that we are serving our earthly masters with a sincerity of heart. With sincerity of heart. Colossians 3.23 Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Employer may not appreciate you. Even be aware of good works you have done. Perhaps they are indifferent. Sometimes they don't show you their appreciation for the effort that you have put in, the sacrifices you have paid. But what are we to do? We are to trust the Lord. We can't control those things. And Psalm 44 says, How blessed is a man who has made the Lord his trust. That we are to trust the Lord, that these things will be taken care of by God. You know, again, workplaces, no matter how difficult, how unfair it may be, God has placed you there. God has placed you there sovereignly, where you are today, in that particular organization. So we must do it seriously. Again, prayerfully consider where you are. You know, the mark of a younger man, you know, you see, they move around from job to job. You see resumes. Some people had seven jobs in the last four years. Okay. You know, most employers don't touch people like that. They're inconsistent. Okay. We need to be consistent in that. So they're going from job to job, wherever the next pay is, where they're in the next situation, and grass is always greener on the other side, and there's no satisfaction. And there's something to be said about people who work in the same place 10, 15, 20 years. Our parents' generation. Now it's the other way. People will go wherever the pay may be. And younger people, I'm not targeting you, but you're more apt to do this. When you have three or four kids, it makes your decision a little, diff- little bit more difficult. But when you're single, hey, pay is pay, right? You're all you're responsible for yourself. Can I buy a better car by this increase? You know, increasing your payment. This happens to be a trademark of a lot of younger people. I've seen enough resumes to determine that. So I would say this, you've read the book, or have you seen the book, Stop Dating Your Church? Well, stop dating your companies. That's not the Christian thing to do. We need to remember that. Because your heart is always, again, it's not about economics. It's about your spiritual status, your heart condition. Our paradigm has to shift here. So if you, you... Sometimes we get let go by layoffs or maybe even by your performance. You know, but don't burn any bridges. You know, I would uh, seriously consider just maintaining a relationship in the utmost way as you leave. You know, you know, I've crossed in my almost 20 years of professional life. The four people I, I counted them yesterday. The four people I can remember that I used to work with. Or somehow I'd contacted before, cross my path again. If I determined those relationships and, and burn bridges, it would not have been good. 
Let me give you a story. Okay, this is how scary it is. Sometimes my memory is uh, very keen and I remember a lot of things. My, it drives my wife crazy sometimes. I was a senior at Cal State Long Beach, one of my last classes. And la- I think it was maybe my last class. I was at, at the, you know, the student store buying my book. Last class, and buying, you know, they have long lines, right? At the end, you sit there, you could talk to someone for hours at Cal State Long Beach. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm sitting there, and there's an older gentleman who's a little bit older than me at the time. He was taking the same class. He was one also already a controller. Those of you who are in accounting, controller is usually the head of the department in companies. He was already a controller. So, you know, as a senior, what do you do? You're almost begging for a job, right? No, that's your biggest concern. You're almost begging for a job. I almost went on my knees if I had to, if you asked me to. You're going through this thing, and I'm talking to him, and you know his job, actually, it was a type of company I was also interning at another company. So it would have been a perfect fit. He could have solved all my problems right there. You know, having a job before my last class, I could just roll in, right? I was almost begging him. I talked to him a little bit. He kind of seemed interested. But at the end, to make a long story short, he brushed me off. Brushed me off. And so, what do I do? So I moved on, but thankfully God gave me another job. And, you know, about a year and a half ago, I'm looking for a controller. And guess who walks in? <laughs> this guy walks in. I recognize his face. And I said to them, I asked some questions, and toward the end, didn't you go to Cal State Long Beach? Yes. Didn't you work for this type of company? Yes. And I asked him about five questions. He goes, you're scaring me now. <laughs> you were there. I remember you. And You cross paths like that. Okay. As a Christian, when we leave, they would ought to want you to stay. They should almost cry. I heard of one person, when he resigned, that his boss cried because he was leaving. He was so sad. Right. That's what it ought to be for Christians. We should leave an indelible mark on the world, in the company that you're working on. How good or how unfair, that's a secondary issue. You leave that kind of mark, saying for Christians. You know, that's what it ought to be. If we do our thing right, if Christianity does the thing right, the biggest headhunters that employers should go to are pastors. They should come to elders and can I get more of you? Right? They should be knocking on Pastor James's door for Christian employees. Where do you get these type of people? What do you do to them? They're just excellent. You know, that's an, uh, in an ideal world. But think about that. Think about that. For Christians to leave that kind of mark. I'm debating whether to continue or not. We've been at 40 minutes. I'll stop here. I'll stop here. I'll continue next week. Um, you know, just a couple of things to leave with. Remember, if you have done not so, I'm sure it's almost all of us. I fail each day. I know your struggles. I fail each day. You know, I come before God. I, my job, I, I usually go in and take at least five, ten minutes to pray at work. God keep me humble. God help me to be a testimony. And I still feel about 15 minutes later. You know, my emotions get best in me. I want to get things done. And it's a struggle for me. 
That's a struggle for me. And I know it's a struggle for all of you. So I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to sympathize with you. And my, let's, my prayer is that all of us would rely on the grace of God to change our perspective perhaps first, make us humble, so that we would be able to do these things. Let's rely on the grace of God each day. Be mindful. Maybe perhaps take five minutes, ten minutes to pray before we begin work. So that we would, this is our mission field. You are constantly on OCT. Every single one of you. Mothers, same thing, right? Mark has taught on this. Same thing. Because ultimately, what does that point to? I'll cover it next week. Ultimately, what does it point to? Our testimony, and it's an evangelistic field. Christ's reputation is at stake. Ultimately, that's where the battle is. And we have to see that every day. It's not about putting your Bibles and putting verses on your walls or your cubicles on your post-its. It's not about that. Unbelievers don't care about that. But it is about how you live your life. So when an unbeliever, time will come. When people come, time will come where there's difficulty in their lives. And they should be, you should be the first one they talk to because you have that peace about you. You have that inner strength about you. You complain a lot less than everybody else. You have that strength and they want to draw on that strength. And you say at that point, this is where I get it from. And you point to the cross. You point to the cross. It's not about praying before meals in front of others and tell others they're not praying, you're praying. It's not about that. It's about your life, when the opportunity comes, then you deliver the blow. Then the gospel shines brightly. May your life, your work life, be the platform for the gospel. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. First of all, we come before you with repentant hearts in so many ways, so many areas in our work life. We have fallen short of glory of God. We have failed to be the salt and light. We have failed to shine the light of Christ in many ways. But Lord, help us from this day forward to rely on the grace of God for the Holy Spirit to work through us so that you would use us for your glory in the workplace. Help us to change our hearts. We rely on you. Will you help us to see your glory so that your will be done through us? We have such opportunity in the midst of a darkened world. You have called us to live in the world so that your will can be done. Father, use us for your glory and may your grace abound in us. In Jesus' name, amen.